Father, we need you. That, that, that isn't some churchy phrase that we use because it plays well in a room like this. It's the absolute blatant truth and we have no idea just how true it actually is. We need you. God, we are living in a dark world that has been dark since the fall of man. We are living in a sinful world where every man, woman, and child has been corrupted by sin. We're living among people who are far from you and will die tragic deaths and spend eternity in hell. Father, that is true in Paris, France. That is true in the United States of America. That is true in Merritt Island, Florida. And so we pray for a great gospel work. I pray for the people of Paris, God, as their lives have been rocked by this this wake-up call, this, this tragedy that lets them know life is fragile and precious and to be spent well and opportunities may come, but they aren't guaranteed to come. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in the, the people of Paris and the people of France and the people of Europe to be awakened from a post-Christian reality that they've lived in for so long. And Lord, I pray that they would be awakened to their need of Jesus Christ. Lord, would you do a work through the men and women who are followers of Christ in France, in Europe, in that whole part of the world where they would be able to boldly declare the message of Jesus Christ to men and women who are around them? Lord, would you please bring people to faith in Christ as they face their own mortality, the reality that life is fragile and temporary at best? God, would you do a work among those people? Father, would you do a work in the Middle East, Lord? Uh, this, um, this new world, which is the same old world, is so confusing, Father. How to share the love of Jesus Christ, to share the message of Jesus Christ in a culture that's becoming so polarized around different ideologies and different ways of life. God, I pray for the people of the Middle East, men, women, and children, and in, in nations um, who are lost and dying and going to hell, who are called in the grip of a false religion that offers no hope. Father, a false religion that offers no hope. God, would you do a, a work in the Middle East? Thank you for the men and women who are serving in, in closed nations, nations where their life is literally on the line and they're building relationships with uh, with Islamic men and women and children for the sake of the gospel of Jesus, would you, would you give fruit to their labor? God, would you, would you see a, a harvest of people come to Christ in those nations? Lord, we know that the hope for Syrians is Jesus Christ. The, the hope for Afghans is Jesus Christ. Pakistanis is Jesus Christ. The, the hope of all mankind is Jesus Christ. And God, would you do a work in Merritt Island? Men and women are dying, going to hell in false religion all the time in this community. Our neighbors, our coworkers are dying and going to hell and they are called in the grip of a false religion called materialism. Father, that, that is, is offering them no real hope and their only hope is Jesus. And would you do a work in us, God, that we would be the kind of men and women who would boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to other people so that they'd have hope, God? Would you do that in us, Lord? Father, would you help us to let go of the things that don't matter at all and take up the one and only thing that matters, the name of Jesus and his mission? Would you do that, Father? Lord, would you 
Give us grace today as we study your word. We need to hear from you, and I pray that we will. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to believe and obey what we encounter in the Bible. And Lord, I pray that we would embrace Jesus, not only his message, but his methods, his life, his mission. Lord, I pray for Pastor Dan Barton at Bow Gardens. I pray that you would give him grace. Lord, may he be encouraged today. He's serving in the same dark world that we're serving in. Lord, he's ministering in a culture that's godless around him as well. And Lord, I pray that he would be encouraged today to keep on with the faithful preaching of your word no matter what, no matter what. God, encourage his heart, I pray. And Lord, we look to you because we need you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Would you take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 5? Luke chapter 5. In the fall of 1986, it was a very good year, the best music on the planet, 1986, Tears for Fears. I started third grade. I started third grade at a new school. I didn't know anybody there but my brother Travis, who was in fifth grade. Didn't get to see him much except on the bus ride to school. And I'll never forget going into Mrs. Kramer's third grade class on the first day. And I didn't know anybody. I just walked in. I took my seat at my little third grade desk. And I watched all the other kids come in. And and I saw them sit down. And I'll never forget. I felt so alone. And that little third grade Titus just sitting there. And I've got to tell you... I had a pretty rough elementary school career. It turns out that kids can come up with some pretty hurtful variations of the name Titus. Uh, I, I don't do that now. That's, that's dangerous. I, I learned that it, it wasn't very cool to be a, a non-athletic nine-year-old. I, I learned that my generic tennis shoes weren't in style. I learned that having hair that looked more like a coonskin cap than a haircut wasn't trendy. I, I learned that my glasses were so thick that I couldn't sit next to the window in class or the sun would come up and catch my papers on fire. I, I learned all of those things in elementary school. And, and elementary school taught me another lesson. Making friends isn't easy. It just isn't. At the beginning of my seventh grade year, our family moved again to a different city and I started a first day of another new school and I decided to take my second chance to make another first impression, so I tried to do it right. I I went to uh, Middletown, Ohio. I I decided to ditch the name Titus and I I chose to have everyone call me D-O-L, which was short for Doctor of Love. Uh, I saved up for a pair of Reebok pumps. Some of you remember those. I had my dad cut my hair from a coonskin cap to a flat top, and I thought, I'm set. And it turns out my plan for improvement in seventh grade wasn't really much improvement from third grade at all. No one bought, surprisingly, no one bought the Doctor of Love bit, the Reebok pumps, didn't make up for the fact that I was wearing dress denim pants with white suspenders and a plaid pastel shirt. Uh, My flat top was more of a round top and my glasses had only gotten thicker with time. Uh, Instead of looking like a cool celebrity athlete, I really closely resembled America's celebrity nerd Steve Urkel right there in seventh grade. Did I do that? So I just decided to go with it. Chuck being cool, I played the whole thing off as a joke and took up the role of the class clown and the kids believed it. I mean, I was wearing big shoes with a plaid shirt and funny hair, so class clown sort of fit. Here's the whole point of going back in time with me. Building relationships is always hard. It always is. It's hard work. There's always risk. 
involved. Putting yourself out there is always difficult for us, especially in a group of people that we don't know well or a, a group of people who are just casual acquaintances and you'd, you'd rather break over into authentic friendship than a life of just casual acquaintance. But I wanna show you something this morning that, that I really pray will challenge you to move outside yourself for a while that you'll take up what Jesus gives us in this passage of scripture and you will begin moving outside of your comfort zone and your safe places and, and get together with people who are different than you, people around you. Begin building strategic relationships for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're on our sixth marker of a disciple of Jesus and a disciple of Jesus is a relator. Living on personal worship and personal mission means if we're gonna love God, we're gonna love people, then we're gonna need to live in relationship with God and we're gonna need to live in relationship with people. Not the fake Sunday morning, how you doing, brother? Fine, everything's fine. I'm doing fine, how you doing? I'm doing fine all the time. Not that fake stuff, the real stuff. The my life is falling apart stuff. The I'm messy, I'm dirty, I'm broken, I'm sinful, that, that stuff. My prayer is that we'll move into that. As hard as it is, as risky as it is, I pray that we'll see that it's worth it. I pray that we see that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So look at Luke chapter five, and we're gonna begin reading in verse 27. Luke chapter five, verse 27. After this, after Jesus had, had already called some disciples to him, after he had healed a leper, after he had healed a paralyzed man, after he'd done some extraordinary things, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. Now, Levi is Matthew. We find him as Matthew in all of the other books of the Bible where he's mentioned, but he, he's Levi. Uh, it's kind of like Simon Peter or, or Titus and Doctor of Love, you know, names that are synonymous with one another. Levi... Uh, was sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me and leaving everything he arose and he followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of God for us this morning. It's, a, it's really a, a pretty straightforward passage of scripture, and it doesn't take a lot for us to see what's going on here. And the first thing I want us to notice is that Jesus invited broken, messy, sinful people into his life. Jesus invited broken, messy, sinful people into his life. That's what's going on in verse 27. Verse 27 says that Jesus saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the booth and Jesus goes up to him and he says, hey bro, follow me. That, that phrase, follow me, hadn't become a Christian catchphrase yet because Jesus had just said it. So the people didn't take it as some churchy thing to join a new program. Hey, follow me and join our new program. They, they took it as something else. They took it as an invitation to actually come into his life. Jesus is saying, hey, follow me. Come do life with me. Come and, and hear what I have to say in, in public. Hear what I have to say in private. See what I do in public. See what I do in private. Share some meals with me. Travel with me. Get close to me. Come and follow me and follow my example. So Jesus is inviting this guy into his life. He's saying, come and be a part of my life. Not just my row, 
not just my event, be a part of me, of my, of my life. And it's not just anyone. He invites Levi, a tax collector, a dude who was, who was known to take money from other people. I, I, I knew a guy in Cincinnati who worked for the IRS. And every group of people, when he, he let them know, I, I'm a, a, an agent for the IRS, there was this collective groan. I felt so sorry for the guy. Even in church, you know what I mean? He's, he's in Sunday school. Hey, I, I'm Mark. I'm from the IRS. Oh, my goodness, man. Seriously. Where are the other sinners? We'd rather have some of them. And I felt so bad that that's 21st century Christianity. That's nothing even close to first century Israel. In the first century, in Jesus' day, the tax collectors were some of the worst people in the entire community. Um, the Roman government demanded that all of its citizens would pay a tax to Caesar. And the way that they would get the taxes from the people that they ruled is they would use local people to extract the tax. They would go to Israel and they would get Jews to basically turn on their countrymen and work for the Roman government. And so these, these Jews had turned their back on Judaism, which was their religion and their, their, their social identity. And it was their, their governmental structure being governed by the law. They turned their back on all of that and they started to work for the Roman government. They were these traitorous turncoat middlemen lackeys for Caesar. And the way they earned their income is they would take the amount of money that Caesar demanded from every individual person. And then they could take as much as they wanted without causing an outright revolt. revolt. They would take as much as they wanted from the people and just pocket the rest. So these guys are just greedy extortioners that are absolutely hated by their countrymen. They could charge as much as they want so families would be out of their home or they'd be out of food and kids could potentially starve to death in their parents' home because their family's money had gone to pay these dirty, rotten, thieving liars. And that's who Jesus comes up to in, in, in Levi. He's walking down the street. He sees Matthew, Levi, sitting there at a tax booth. He's actually in the middle of the exchange. He's there in the act of extorting innocent people. Jesus doesn't stand a few yards away, hope that the guy notices him. He doesn't wait for the dude to put in his two weeks notice, give it all up, and then turn and follow him. Jesus walks right over to this thief And he looks him in the eye and he says, hey, bro, why don't you give up robbing people and be on my team? I want guys like you on my leadership team. (laughs) Nice start (laughs) to the earthly ministry, right? Get the most hated guy in your community on your team. Woohoo! That's the way to win friends and influence people. I've not read that in any church growth books, but it's interesting Jesus does it. How does Levi respond? What's he do? He follows Jesus. He follows Jesus. He drops everything, it says. He gives up everything. He takes Jesus up on his offer. He follows Jesus. Now remember, this is an invitation into Jesus's life, and it's an invitation to follow Jesus's example. And what did Jesus just do? He invited a sinful, messy, broken sinner into his life. Matthew says, okay to that. I'll follow the invitation. I'll follow your example. So what does Levi do? What's Matthew do? Look at verse 29. And Levi made him, made Jesus. And this is is Jesus being the guest of honor at a great feast. 
that you could read that, a huge party. He throws a massive party. He made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others. Others what? Other sinners. Other filthy people. Other people who were super far from God and acted like they were super far from God. There was a large company. How big is a large company? Large. I don't know. Big. It's a huge gathering of dirty, sinful people. So here's what Levi does. He throws a party in honor of Jesus, okay? He's throwing this party. Let's throw it. Let's organize a party, guys, for Jesus. Let's organize a party that's in honor of him. Something that celebrates Jesus being who he is. Who should we invite? How should we honor Jesus? Now, now, now get this. The way he honors Jesus is by inviting, now wait for it, the worst of the worst in his community. The absolute worst. The, the, the most notorious sinful people, the jerks everyone hates, but the other jerks, the thieves that, that, that steal from everyone, they put innocent families out of their houses. They're not just these casual, almost likable sinful people. They're the hated, they're the hated people of your community. He says, let's get all of those people together over to my house. Are you greedy? Come on over. Are you manipulative? Come on in. Are you a liar? Get over here, man. Are you a cheating thief? Hey, bro, pull up a chair. It's a party for Jesus at my house. So imagine driving by my house, and I know some of you do, and is it just me, but you drive a little slower and look a little closer when you do. Not all of you. Some of you, though, I see you. I notice. Yeah, there's not that big of a glare on your windshield. I know what you're doing. And so you're driving by the house and you notice I've got a huge party going on. And you can tell just by the looks of it, it's not a Sunday school get together, right? There are prostitutes and drug dealers out on my front lawn playing croquet because I'm sure, I'm sure that's what they do at those parties, right? I'm cool. I'm cool. Got street cred with my croquet set. Uh, and they're in the middle of all these drug dealers and prostitutes and, and, and all of the unsavories and politicians. I, I, I'm there right in, in the middle. Did I say that? Man, I blacked out for a minute. The truest thing I've said all day. No. Uh, so there I am, all these people are at my house, and then you see me with a tank top by the grill, flipping burgers, saying, hey, T-Bone, you missed the middle wicket. Go back through, man. It's okay. I know you're a cheater. That's why I invited you over, bro, right? That there I am. What would you think? Drive by my house. That's what I'm doing. Wonder what he does all week between Sundays. That's it, guys. That's the life of a pastor. Right there in those kind of parts. What would you think? I know what some of you think. You call for my resignation when I change the bulletin. So, no, that's just a joke. That's a joke. The, the, the question, are you clapping because you actually want me to? I, I can't tell. Don't clap for those things. The, the, here, here's the question that really matters. It's not what you would think. It's not what I would think. The question is, what would Jesus think? Right? What would Jesus think about that? Well, apparently he loved it. Because he shows up at the party and he defends how appropriate it is. Verse 29 says they're reclining together at the table. You and I don't get this, but in first century culture, that is one of the most intimate acts of friendship you could offer someone. 
reclining, laying together for hours around this table while you're having a meal, you're talking with one another. There's this free forum of ideas where you're sharing. And when you did that with someone else, when you shared a meal that way, like Jesus is sharing the meal, laying around, lounging around the table, it was blatantly associating yourself with another person. It was about that close to an endorsement of the other person by like saying, hey, I vouch for you. Hey, you're, you're, you're my friend and I'm not ashamed for people to associate you and me, to think about you and to think about me hanging out and being friends. I'm not ashamed of that. That's what that's equivalent to. That's what Jesus is doing in that atmosphere with all of these corrupt, thieving, sinful men and women at Matthew's house. Levi does that with all his old corrupt friends, and so does Jesus. And that explains verse 30. Verse 30 says, the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, what are you doing? Why do you you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So he explains verse 30, the religious crowd is irate. How could you do that? Seriously, don't you know who those people are? Don't you know what they're like? Don't you know what they do all the time? Jesus and his disciples then are very comfortable. They're perfectly comfortable around broken, sinful people. But you notice religious people hate the very idea of it. It's a little too soon to talk about this, but I wonder which category we fall into. We talk about associating ourselves. Our good Sunday school walls go up, right? We talk about, hey, this is, this is uncomfortable. This is messy. Let me tell you something. I'm uncomfortable with this. It's messy. I don't know how to do this most of the time in a culture that is absolutely normalizing sin like it's no big deal. Not just normalizing, now we're celebrating sin. Like the sin itself is now a moral victory. I, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with it. It's messy. It's hard. It's increasingly difficult to be firm in our convictions while we're trying to offer authentic friendship to people who are diametrically opposed to the righteousness of God. I understand it's really hard, but let's not act like those issues weren't at play here. There was political pressure in this situation because patriotic Jews had every reason to be angry with turncoat tax collectors. It's un-Jewish to do what you're doing to our nation. There's political pressure here. There's social pressure because good Jewish citizens, pillars of the community, didn't associate with prostitutes and blatant sinners. There's religious pressure. The most committed religious people wouldn't want to ruin their testimony in the community by giving some kind of a patent endorsement of a destructive lifestyle. You could get kicked out of your church for doing this, or at least ostracized and looked at differently if you did it. All of the same pressures on us were on Jesus and his people. And don't misconstrue what I'm saying here. The call to follow Jesus is a call to repent. Jesus says that himself, right? 
Can call people to repentance, turning away from sin, turning to God. Absolutely, absolutely it's a call to that. Jesus loves his holiness and he loves his people too much to let us stay in bondage to sin. I'm not saying sin isn't a big deal. Jesus isn't saying sin isn't a big deal. He died to prove sin's a big deal, okay? Repentance is absolutely necessary, absolutely necessary. You aren't saved if you don't turn to Christ in faith through repentance, turning your back on sin. There's no doubt, but something's happening here. It's not getting them off the hook. Something's happening in Matthew's heart. You know what he doesn't forget? He doesn't forget he was a broken bad guy, right? He doesn't forget that his friends and his neighbors and his coworkers will all be lost without Jesus, He doesn't forget those things. So he puts the politics aside. He plows through social awkwardness. He's not held hostage to the self-righteous expectations of religious people. And he throws a party for sinful people. And I am sure it was messy. I am not at all convinced that the jokes were entirely appropriate. With the prostitutes and thieves hanging around. But with all of that mess, Matthew is convinced of something. If they don't meet Jesus, they will live and they will die without any hope at all. And he wasn't okay with that. He didn't learn how to marginalize them, how to ease his conscience by saying, I'm sure someone else will go. I'm sure Jesus himself will just go to them like he came to me. He's not okay with them dying. He knew Jesus personally. So he could make the personal introduction. I know Jesus. I know them. I can put two and two together. And Jesus backs Matthew 100%. And here's what he says. Doctors should be with sick people. And saviors should be with sinners. That's what Jesus says. And I know there are a lot of different places we could go with this. We could talk about a thousand people who show up every Monday at House of Hope who are far from God. Most of them are far from God and it gets messy and it's hard and it's difficult, but it is worth it. We, we, we could talk about the big event that we'll be hosting in our community to love on a family, Blake and his mom, Tracy, Blake, a third grader, needing a kidney transplant for his very life. His his mom going through the difficulty of giving her son dialysis every single evening and caring for him as she is a single mom caring for a child working at Merritt Island High School. We could talk about that big event that we'll host December 14th where we hope that all the families from Mila who are far from God and all the families from Merritt Island High School who are far from God and all of you would join together on that field at Merritt Island High School. Lord willing, we'll be there and we'll be with sinful people who are far from God and we'll love them and we'll care for them. We could talk all about that, but the place I want to go is the most literal application of this story, and it's the one we most often skip as American Christians. Are you, you personally willing to invite a broken, sinful person who's far from God into your life with the hope of introducing them to Jesus? Are you willing to step out and take the risk 
and say, I am going to be your friend. You're far from God. You are not living like you know God because you don't. And I'm going to invite you into my life, into my home. I found this quote, or I heard this quote several years ago, and I looked it up this week just so I could get it right. It's from a pastor named Jim Putnam, who is a disciple-making pastor in, uh, at the uh, church named the Real Life Church. And here's what he has to say. The church today is divorcing the message of Jesus from the method of Jesus and expecting the results of Jesus. We, we, we love the message of Jesus We love telling all the wonderful things that Jesus has to say. And we have totally abandoned his methods. I know that many of us in this room have grown up in a Christianity that had already stopped before we were on the scene, had already stopped inviting broken, messy, sinful people into our lives. We inherit a version of Christianity where we substituted inviting people into our homes by inviting them into a room like this. And I know it's close enough that we can sort of ease our conscience because they're going to hear someone talk about Jesus. They'll come here. But listen, this isn't where we live our lives. We invite people here. This isn't where we live. And I'm not saying we should stop inviting people here. I invite people here. And if you're visiting, you are welcome in this place. And we want you to feel comfortable with us. Absolutely. I try to say it every week. Broken, messy, sinful people are welcome here or else the room would be empty. Absolutely, no doubt. And I, I invite my friends, I invite my neighbors to join us. Rarely do they, and I don't know that this says about me as a neighbor, but rarely do they come and join me. But there is a world of difference, friends. And this is the reality. There's a world of difference between opening our church gatherings to people who are far from God and opening our dinner tables to people who are far from God. That there's a world of difference between inviting someone to sit in your pew with you on Sunday morning, inviting someone from your street to sit with you in your living room over coffee. It's a world of difference. Back to the story that I shared at the beginning, the turning point in my life came when I realized that most people felt like I did on the first day of third grade. Life to be, began to be different for me when I stopped expecting the world to come to me with an invitation to be their friend. I stopped expecting everyone to to pursue me and and seek me. And when I got up out of my chair and introduced myself to some new kid, I made a lot more friends when I was willing to step outside myself and invite someone into my life to be my friend. And that's who we have to become as a church or else we will die. We do not live in a culture where our culture's coming to us. You don't have to go to a church gathering every Sunday to be a good citizen in Merritt Island. You don't have to do that. If we wait for our world to come to us, we will die as a church and they will die and go to hell. That's the plain reality of where we live. So let's not miss the most basic lesson from this text. Jesus invites broken, sinful people into his life. And people who follow Jesus invite broken, sinful people in their lives with the hope of introducing them to Jesus. So that's the first step in in answering that question. How should I build gospel relationships? Will you start by getting up out of your chair 
by getting up out of your pew, by walking across the street, walking across the office, walking across the room and inviting someone who's far from God to do a dinner party at your home with you, to go fishing with you, to go to lunch with you, to play a round of golf with you. You invite someone in your life and you don't manipulate them and you don't bait and switch them. You seek to be their real friend and invite them into your life. And you have every hope, God, let me introduce this person to Jesus as their friend, not a door-to-door salesman. As someone who cares about their life and realizes the urgency of their sin and doesn't ignore it. So there are two questions I just wanna ask us in closing. The first one is this, have you responded to the invitation of Jesus? That's really where this begins. The story begins with a sinful man that Jesus comes to and says, I know you're a sinner. I know right where you're at. And I'm asking you to turn your back on that. And I'm asking you to follow me. Listen, friend, all of us are broken by sin. All of us are broken by sin. All of us are a mess. All of us are a mess. If you come here and you think you're in a room full of people who have their act together, the only thing I know to say to that is, ha, 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 ha. That was six halls in a row. We are broken, messy people. Just get involved. You'll see. We are all broken. And Jesus, as a kind, gracious God, has given his life in our place to pay for our sin. He has been raised to new life to show he can raise us from the death of sin as well. And he invites us to do life with him he would do life in us. And the way we live that relationship is by trusting, believing, depending on Christ. So for all of you broken, sinful people, my prayer is you'll join the club of people who have said yes to the question of Jesus, to the command of Jesus, follow me. Have you trusted in Christ? Are you trusting in Jesus to make you right with God? I wanna encourage you If you'd like to talk about your relationship with God through Jesus Christ, I wanna invite you at the end of this service, I'm gonna have a time where our pastors will be down at the front of this room. We would love to talk with you personally in a way that doesn't feel rushed, doesn't feel like you're you're being viewed by everybody in the room, but a way we can talk about your relationship with Christ. I wanna invite you to do that. If there's something stirring in you where you know if you died today, if if you were the victim of a tragic death, that, that you would stand before God and you don't know what your eternal destiny would be, don't leave. Don't leave this room without knowing that your relationship with God is right through the work of Jesus Christ. And if you would say, yes, I've accepted Jesus. as I have, I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ. I want you to just think about something. Jesus came to you when you were far from God. The only reason that you're not stuck in the ruts of sin is because Jesus is giving you the power of his resurrection life. You see, the easiest way for us to become part of the religious crowd that gets upset by hanging out with dirty, broken, sinful people is to forget we are the dirty, broken, sinful people Jesus wants to hang out with. We are them. So would you praise God with me that Jesus wants to hang out with you? He wants to invite you into his life and rescue you from your sin and to spend eternity with you in your presence and you in his presence. Would you rejoice with that? So that's the first one. Have you accepted Christ's invitation for his life? The second question is this. Who does Jesus want you to invite into your life?
into your home, at your dinner table, at your lunch table? Who does Jesus want to invite into your life in honor of him with the hope that you'll make the introduction? Students, who in your school do you need to invite to your lunch table? What broken, marginalized kid who is hurting at his desk every single morning does Jesus want you to invite into your life? To say, for the name of Christ and not my own popularity, for the good of this guy or this girl, because they are a person that Jesus loves. Who does God want you to invite into your life at school, students? Stay-at-home mom, who in your neighborhood is Jesus calling you to invite in your life for coffee in the morning after the kids go to school, for friendship in the evening, to honor Jesus? A a, a stay-at-home mom who's who's shut up alone in her house and is lonely and is scared and is confused and is lost. Who does Jesus want you to go to and invite into your life to introduce to Jesus? What about someone at your job, a coworker that you see every single day? Who is Jesus asking you to invite to lunch so you can offer them your friendship? Not, not the sales pitch, the friendship with the hope that you would introduce them to Jesus. Families on your street, parents on the sideline at your kids' soccer game, you are surrounded by broken, sinful people. And do you know the plan of God to bring broken, sinful people into relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you know the plan of God to do that? You. You're the plan of God. You're the way he desires to reach this community with the message of Jesus Christ. And here's a little word for you. It's gonna be hard. It's gonna be messy. Broken, sinful people are broken and sinful. And they're people for whom Christ died. Uh, We use a phrase around here called, who's your five? It's just a way for us to think about the people in our life that we can name who are already in our life. We don't need to go out and get new people. We've already got people who are far from God, that we are in relationship with them with the hopes of bringing them to faith in Jesus. So we pray for them and we care for them. Just think about one of those people. This goes on in my mind sometimes where I think about one of my five and I think about the day that they declare faith in Jesus Christ. There are times where I think about standing up there and baptizing one of my five and it's all I can do to contain myself. But what that feels like, what that looks like, And I've had plenty of conversations very recently where people shut me down when I share the gospel of Jesus with them. And I just imagine, what will it be like when they don't shut me down? When they don't shut me out? When Christ does a work in their heart that plants a seed that opens the door that causes them to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. Think about how that changes their destiny. Think how their children and their grandchildren are forever changed by the work of Jesus in their life. Is it worth inviting them to dinner for that? Is it worth opening your busy schedule for a moment? to invite someone in with the hope they'll know Christ. So here's how we want to close. I want to spend some moments in prayer. And here's what I want want to ask. Who's your five? And if you can't name some people already in your life, I want you to pray for people. Pray that God would give you eyes to see someone who's already in your life, that you're already in a relationship with, who's far from God, that you can start living as an, as an authentic friend with them with the hope of sharing the gospel of Jesus with them. Who's your five? And who is it that 
Jesus is calling you in this week or in this Christmas season to invite into your home, to invite it into your lunch table, to invite into your life to say, let's do life together because I want you to meet someone and it's more than me. I want you to meet Jesus. I want to love you in his name. Would you bow your heads and let's spend some moments just praying that God would give us grace to do this well. Would you reflect over your own life? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you really a follower of Jesus Christ? Someone who is living with Jesus as the central part of your life. If not, would you just pray right now that God would do a work in your life? Would you invite Christ or would you in those terms, I don't like those terms, but would you, would you acknowledge Jesus as your Savior? Would you, would you pray for the people in your life who are far from God, a co-worker? Ask the Holy Spirit to bring someone to mind, a co-worker, a friend, a family member, a neighbor, that you can initiate relationship with them in a way that's intentional, strategic, to be their friend. Ask, ask the Holy Spirit to lead you what, what that looks like. Maybe you need to do lunch on Thursdays with them or schedule a family meal together in your home. Will you pray for the people who are gonna do this? I hope those people are all of us, but those people who are gonna invite someone into their house are gonna go to lunch with someone this week that God would give them grace to show the love of Jesus in their living, to have opportunity to share the truth of Jesus in their speaking. Father, it's a, it's a daunting thing for us. It's a daunting thing for us to think of the men, women, and children who are around us right now in this community. And if we extend beyond the island, the, the over half a million people in Brevard County, the vast majority of those people are dying and going to hell. Lord, I pray that we would not be salt that refuses to leave the shaker of this building. Father, I pray we would not be light that's hidden under the bushel basket of this building. Lord, would you cause us as we go into this community to look up and see that it's actually a field that's white for harvest. And as we're praying for that harvest, Lord, would you make us the laborers that go out and invite them to come in, to come into our lives, to come into relationship with you. Lord, we need you to do this in us. We need you to do this in our community. We know that Christ has to do a work that only he can do or everyone would be helpless. So Lord, would you go ahead of us and by the power of the Holy Spirit enable the way we live and the way we speak to be connecting points between sinful, broken people who don't know Jesus and Jesus, Lord. We ask these things in your name, amen.